listening and welcome to Heavy Matters episode 12 from sunny Dublin and looks like sunny Edinburgh where you are. This is episode 12. Follow us Instagram and Twitter, heavy underscore matters. This is the show where two lovely young lads talk about heavy metal and we discuss albums and our opinions as such. I'm Joey, I suppose 50% of this show, the looks. And I suppose <laughs> the the brains is is you, Venny, is it? Uh, I'll take that. I'm, I'm not sure if that's a, <laughs> a, a, veil, a veiled insult, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. Very good. Good. Yeah, it's uh, it's Sunday we're recording, and usually, if you listen to the show, well, Venny always has a cup of Yorkshire tea, and usually I'd have a glass of wine, but. I'm struggling, Benny. I'm a bit hungover after last night's shenanigans, so I've just got a bottle of Ireland's finest H2O. Guinness. And that's the finest Guinness. God, no. There's a, a litre here. I probably get through that in the first 10 minutes of this show, the way I'm feeling. Um, <laughs> hydration is key. Anyway, let's kick off. Episode 12, we're reviewing this week albums from Cryptic Shift, End, and our deep cut is from Fear Factory's Obsolete and we'll go into the news so venny have you ever been this sober on a sunday at download festival <laughs> no uh although i think you probably have been similarly hung over as you are this sunday <laughs> that's a fact absolute fact the reason i i say that is um this weekend was was download festival but it was obviously cancelled due to uh the covid pandemic if you listen to the show you know we are avid download goers and we we love the festival so it really hurt this weekend and on friday there was text messages going on the group left right and center of old photos videos and it made me so depressed to not be there but download tv venny have not done a bad job have they no and i think it was intended as we did it yesterday which is to try and get the group together on a video call and stick it on in the background and yeah they they've clearly put a bit of thought into it and tried to uh put some some kind of uh token effort on for the postponed festival weekend yeah and as always on social media you've got people who are bitching and moaning saying this is shit blah 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 like i think for what they've done you know they've done friday saturday and today they've been showing it as well we'll, we'll talk about a few performances but they've done something that has to be done in this situation and if you don't like it just don't watch it i'm f- like fed up with bloody keyboard warriors at the moment benny i know it's a bad place to be any kind of social media at the moment it's totally depressing and upsetting so uh it's best just yeah we'll see a little bit but did you watch any on friday on Friday, I watched it for a little bit. What they've done is they've mixed in a few live performances. By that, they've done previously shot from previous festivals, and they've also done some kind of Zoom or uh, video conference kind of proper live performances. They've intermixed those with some interviews. So, yeah, I had it on, saw a few things, saw some of the Kajira, which was actually from the Red Rock show that... Mm. Uh, we talked about a few weeks ago so yeah there's a few few things on there 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 are some bands that they're clearly trying to push on there for some financial incentive or not and so some of them kept recurring um do you want to name names well frank (laughs) and rattlesnakes is clearly the name uh in question that got a disproportionate amount of airtime but yeah it was decent 
I'm not going to say it's amazing, but it was decent, enjoyable enough. Yeah, and then yesterday we watched um, via throughout the day, all of us linking in, we had the Maiden set, which was a great um, set list, wasn't it? Yeah, I quite liked the way they did that. They kind of picked some some lesser played songs, so it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, like they didn't just play Run to the Hills, Fear of the Dark, The Trooper, uh, Iron Maiden, Number of the Beasts, I think. They, they played they, about four, four well, of they, those six. Sorry, they, <laughs> but not, that wasn't it. Do you know what I mean? Like They played yeah. Phantom, Phantom yeah. of the Opera, which was an absolute treat. Yeah, and, Children um, of the Damned. Children of the Damned, yeah. Brilliant. And they closed, closed the set with uh, Blood Brothers, which was... Yeah, what a great track. Mate, say what you want about Maiden. In my opinion, they are the best British heavy metal act ever. I mean, some some would debate that with Black Sabbath and what have you, but but yeah, they, they clearly hold a, a important place in both of our hearts, and uh, they're textbook headliners for any kind of festival. They put on a brilliant show. They've got the a back catalogue of hits. They can play the classics. They can throw in a few deep cuts for fans like us and yeah absolutely incredible stage show incredible energy yeah energy yeah given their respective ages and what i quite like was seeing they didn't just show like tracks from one year's performance they they threw it back to all the years that they've headlined downloads picked out different performances picked out even i think from outward download festival some some of their south american performances as well mm. so it's quite quite liked that variety as well and seeing how they've changed over the years and they they showed the nostalgic piece which we touched upon the spitfire coming over uh, and it seems so long ago that now well it was yeah seven years ago now seven years ago but yeah still one of the most spine tingling moments in festival history for me I, it was oh. unbelievable yeah between that i think and probably ramstein as festival headliners go between that and and, and a ramstein show and then i just literally before we start recording i watched um baroness do a couple of tracks oh great three tracks and they interviewed um john um and he said they've been working on new music as well Oh, brilliant. So we're going to see a lot of albums come out probably tail end of next year that we wouldn't have been expecting at all. Yeah, it's just giving this downtime, it's giving bands time to write, I guess, instead of touring. So, yeah. Yeah, and who else did I just see? Um, oh, The Darkness. Classic set, apparently. I, I, don't, I wasn't there, but it's one no. of those classic sets that people talk about. Yeah, and then they've thrown in a few system songs here and there. It was that year we saw them headline, which would have been two years ago. Yeah. three years ago two or three um, years ago yeah. yeah i wasn't that impressed with their set to be honest i think they've well i think serge has lost a bit in his voice compared to what he used to in his useful days but anyway look they're still good fun when they bring out the classics and uh you've had a few points on you always good sing-along isn't it certainly certainly is and from that performance two or three years ago i definitely had more than two or three points <laughs> in, uh... as the pictures on friday showed <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Okay, so that's that's download TV, and I hope upon hope it goes ahead next year. For it's got to, yeah. And actually, sorry, they had Andy Coppin on as well, um, like interviewing him about how he sort of books the bands and how he's trying to always look for for a band that aren't exactly a typical headline. He was talking about Prodigy and Die Antwood. He seems like a really nice guy, Andy Coppin, and you know he gets a lot of shit for booking the same headline and stuff, but. It, it works. He gets a lot of shit from everyone at yeah. all times. He's yeah, got, like, 
<laughs> I, I feel a bit sorry for him. He just gets absolute pelters at all times, no matter who he books. It never pleases everyone. Well, this Dan is one of those festivals where it's not a speciality festival like Damnation or something like that, where you've got a exact formula of what people want and expect. This has got to please everyone, and it never, it never possibly can do that. So it's got an impossible brief. But this, this, this. This goes back to the point when I said Iron Maiden are the best British band, heavy band. It's all opinion. Like, you're going to have, like, you could book Maiden one year and people are moaning because they played too many years. They book Sabbath the next year, they'll be moaning because they're not up to date. It's an impossible task to do. But look, we'll be there no matter who's playing. We're, we're, we're lifers, I think, now. And probably next year you'll be getting a download dog tattoo, Benny. On your neck. I'll just put it next to my heavy matters tattoo. (laughs) Okay, um, so that's obviously the big news then. Um, Power Trip dropped a live album out of nowhere on Friday, Vernie. Gone in on? Yeah, I'm not listening to it. Not listening. So was that a live uh, stream or an actual live album? Live album. um, Okay. In, I want to say Chicago. Um, Okay. Power Trip are a great band. I bloody love Power Trip. They're sort of the new breed of thrash metal and i think they do it so well yeah we talked about havoc a few weeks ago clearly similar but for you is it power trip are the leaders in that scene i think so i think nightmare logic was such a good album that every track in it is just absolutely amazing and when you hear them play it live on this live album the engagement with the crowd and the the energy from them as well is great and they played download that year when we were on the main stage yeah, they so, were they were quite early early doors on the main stage, but got the crowd going and yeah. got that kind of we talked about for that universal appeal for older fans and younger fans alike. So yeah, yep. So check that out. Um, and then just finally, I'm only mentioning this because of the headliners Coachella in America um, was originally postponed from March till October, I think, and it's now just been cancelled. And Rage Against the Machine was supposed to play that. Um, so yeah, in terms of gigs later on in the year, now that's that's a festival. That's like hundreds of thousands of people. It's a bit different to having a uh, like an academy-sized gig, isn't it? Really? Yeah, in Coachella, I think is in the middle of nowhere, and so kind of infrastructure-wise, they're, they're probably all rooting a lot of people for a small number of places, if that makes sense. So yeah, there are probably a few considerations for that. But yeah, fair play, probably likely. right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the news this week. So we're going to move on to our first review, and it is uh, by a band called Cryptic Shift, and the album is called Visitations from Enchiladas. <laughs> Enchiladas. Enchiladas. Not Enchiladas. <laughs> Visitations from Enchiladas. I don't know why does that make them so difficult to read, like especially when I'm it's hungover. Good. It's like, giving you a lot of bother these last few weeks, hasn't it? Uh, anyway, Cryptic Shift. Um, these are four piece from Leeds, and without spoiling, it's probably one of the best things to come out of Leeds for a long time. Since Tony Yeboa. Since Tony Yeboa's volley that day. Um, <laughs> yeah, four piece from Leeds. Um, it's their uh, debut. Uh, technical thrash metal. Benny, would you say? I'd call it progressive cosmic death metal. <laughs> <laughs> These genres are getting out of hand. <laughs> for God's sake, yeah. Um, we'll talk about it for fans of shortly. But anyway, 
it's a four track album and it comes in around 40 odd minutes the first track is 25 minutes long and that is very ambitious Venny, for a debut album isn't it yeah and it basically sums up what you're going to be served up in that 45 minutes doesn't it and uh this is a very ambitious track from a very ambitious band yeah i mean not since opeth opeth's debut orchid when they the first track was in the midst you were standing which was a good 20 minutes long have i ever seen such ambition and i'm always a bit dubious because you think mm, is it just going to be a bit of a Ming, yeah, Ming track elements. Yeah, like, or, or are they just going to go off on a tangent where you don't really, you sort of lose a bit of the track? Yeah, or making it long for long sake, like just yeah. for the to try and prove a point. But yeah, what do you think of the track? The first track or the album? Well, <laughs> I well, okay. Yeah. I think in to- it, uh, as a whole, I think the album is brilliant. It's probably more your liking, but like your area of of death metal. But yeah, I think it's it's brilliant. Uh, the first track, it doesn't lose you at all. But like I was saying, that what, what you were saying, you know, that, are they just throwing it together for the sake of it, or are they just dragging it out? But it doesn't. It's got so many. You could actually probably think of it as sort of four tracks. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it, I think the band themselves have said it's six tracks, and I think that's that's about right. I mean, it doesn't. It's not one continuous piece of death metal music, is it? It goes. Uh, it kind of ebbs and flows a little bit and does sound like discrete tracks, doesn't it? Yeah, and you're right. It, it's not just death metal throughout the whole thing. There are very, like you touched on, progressive uh, parts in this. I'm really happy that the band have brought the bass so high up into the mix with those little bass noodles. Is it noodle or yeah. doodle? I can't remember which one. <laughs> <laughs> But they brought that really high into the mix, which was obviously a stable for the death metal sound in the early 90s. I I think it's a great piece of work, and I love his vocals. Yeah, there are a couple of things to say. I think lately, Blood Incantation have been absolutely raved about in death metal and wider metal circles. And they weren't a band I was particularly aware of until last year, but they came with uh, this album, which draws from the classic years of death metal but is extremely progressive and takes it in lots of different directions and is this kind of has these cosmic themes to them they're pretty almost a bit psychedelic and i absolutely loved that album and had some similar bands another band called two mold and this is a similar ilk in that it isn't just your straight up death metal it's in it's wildly progressive and um shows incredible musicianship and it's got in really good dynamics i think dynamics is a problem sometimes with death metal when you've just got everything going at one pace just pure blast beats and chainsaw guitars whereas this these latest albums have been very different to that they're often quite sparse and restrained before going into that that heavier double bass and whatnot so yeah absolutely right up my street like you said and a continuation in that similar vein to um to uh, blood incantation which i loved yeah going back to like cannibal corpse being the death metal i find this a lot more accessible because of like you could give this to someone and said oh i've never listened to death metal before you could say well this is probably your best starting place if you gave someone tomb of the mutilated and said this is it like it's 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 very full-on it's still good from death metal band but i think this cryptic shift really has a lot of dimensions 
excuse the pun, cosmic dimensions on it, um, <laughs> leads you down uh, different avenues. It, it, it is slow in places, but then it does have the, the classic recipe for a death metal band. And I think we touched on this before, but another English band making these sort of waves oh, yeah. is, is great to see. Um, I You know, a lot, a lot of the time is... I mean, we talked about um, Winterfilleth, you know, being a black metal band, and Norway always gets all the accolades for that. I think when you look at this cryptic shift, they are in that same space as the likes of Bloody Incantation, and it's great to see a British band getting the attention they deserve on this. Yeah, and I think some of the reasons why it's so listenable and why you could give this to someone who didn't necessarily like death metal, I think is firstly the musicianship, you touch on the bass. I, I think the bassist is probably the best part of this band. You can hear it very clearly, which isn't always the case for at least modern death metal. It It's very kind of, they're almost quite catchy and almost funky bass lines at times. Yeah. You can hear, you, I think, uses a fretless bass and you can hear the kind of creeping up and down on the fretboard. And uh, yeah, I think, that's a really strong part but all of the elements are really good like the drums are brilliant guitars brilliant and the vocals are good but none of them are none none of them are dominating all of the all of the instruments get a fair crack and i think part of the reason for that is the production the production is really good i think it's super clear but it isn't that very kind of beefed up process sound that a lot of modern death metal is so it has got that kind of organic earthiness of older like early 90s death metal like you said like bands like death but it does let all of the instruments kind of breathe and 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 express themselves which i thought was brilliant yeah i I couldn't agree more on the production i was gonna ask you before you said but um if you've really nailed it on there um it is really really polished but it does like you said have that earthly death metal to it um i think the drums are the probably you can hear it the most where they're not powering like through the mix but they're just that classic in the background of i'm hung over bear with me but (laughs) um yeah no i couldn't agree more and for a four piece like this i I don't are they young lads i I don't i don't don't know a lot about them i don't i mean no this is their debut i think they've released a few eps before but yeah Mm. this is their debut and it clearly extremely impressive very impressive um have you a standout track on here Clearly, the the first track is an absolute epic and uh, tremendous achievement. I I really like the third track called Arctic Chasm. I think that I mean that's a, a mere seven minutes compared to the twenty five of the yeah. other one. But I thought that that if you're going to listen to one track to get a flavour of it was brilliant, and it just shows the whole dynamics between the fast death metal and the kind of they slow it right down about five minutes and there's a really cool almost like a classic rock guitar solo in it i thought it was they clearly draw from a lot of influences not just death metal but they draw from like doom and black metal and psychedelic rock of the 70s i think it's 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 really really impressive yeah i have um the arctic chasm as well as the standout track for me it's got a good old school death metal vibe on it and like you said it's fairly chaotic in places as well 
I think the solos on this are great. The second track as well, Petrified in the... Fuck's sake, why do they make them so hard? Petrified <laughs> in the Hypogean Gale. The solos in that and the lead guitars on that are absolutely cracking. I love it. There's not a bad track on here. There's only four. Well, that's true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Even if you did like one, 25% would be like... <laughs> Uh, yeah no I agree I think it start to finish is brilliant and um, it's hard to describe it's very listenable and in parts very it's quite catchy and I think the vocal throughout is relatively one paced you you said you like the vocal I think it's pretty one paced there's no kind of real dynamics in the vocals he never goes to any kind of harmonic singing or anything else it is straight down the line death metal singing so i if you're going to say one of the four elements out the vocal drums guitar or bass i'd say the vocal for me is the weakest part but i think similar vein to blood incantation that doesn't really matter if the music behind it is so strong great what are you gonna you can go for the rating on this one i've gone for eight out of ten Really good debut and um, really impressive. And I, this is an album I think I'm going to be listening to uh, for the rest of the year. And I can only thank you for bringing it to the table, bringing it to my attention. It was at, well, it, it was sent to me by a mate who works for one of the, the magazines. Um, so he brought it to my attention. So we'll thank him. I already have. Yeah, I'm giving it an eight as well. It's, it's a great debut. It really is. Um, for fans of, we've touched on Blood Incantation. Anyone else? I've got two mold as well, and we mentioned uh, Canada's finest progressive death metal band, but Gorguts as well. I think there's a bit, a bit of an element of that as well. All right, so is that your Canada plug done for this week? Uh, I think so. Okay, yeah. So that was Critic Shift Visitations from Enceladus, not Enceladus. So give it a whirl. It's a, uh, it's a really great album. On to. This album I do, did not need to discuss on a hangover, did I? This album is by End, and the album's called Splinters from an Ever-Changing Face. This is a supergroup, I think. It initially was set up as a supergroup and has now sort of evolved into a side project, I don't know. It's got members of Misery Signal, Counterparts, Reign Supreme, and Fit for an Autopsy. So some good standard of playing in the standards i don't know help me out on this one benny <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it's like you've said it's got people from various different bands but i think it's pretty much driven by will putney who is the guitarist from fit from an autopsy um which i know you were a big fan of their release uh sea of tragic beast last year oh, yes. that's rated pretty highly in your to know where it came top 10 it would have been top 10 yeah yeah you you enjoyed that for sure but he he's also one of the foremost producers in this world in terms of i mean there's a a big list of important albums from this scene that he's produced but post-human by harm's way which we both liked some of the north lane albums including node which is one of my favorite holy war by diet's murder arizona by vane so he's got some really strong producing credits and i think he's one of the go-to producers in this scene um i think also they've added billy reimer from dillinger escape plan and drums for this album so the 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 group has got a little bit more super so yeah um how would you describe this joe 
Thanks for firstly, thanks for saving me on that one, Benny, because I was struggling. <laughs> um, right, this album. Oh, I thought we were going to have a little break this week from heavy albums, but this is uh, brutal from start to finish. It's probably the only thing I can say. I remember when you said you wanted to cover this, and I just I put it on the phone, and as soon as it started, I was like, oh god, this is going to be relentless. And I won't lie, it took me about four or five listens for it to click because it is punishing yeah it's a really dense sound i guess i don't know what you call it but kind of metallic hardcore or blackened hardcore it's essentially very fast very heavy plenty of blast beats pretty much harsh vocal throughout and essentially pretty relentless and i think what makes it particularly hard going is that each song like last album we talked about songs are seven minutes 25 minutes this this album the songs are typically two to three minutes long but they throw a similar number of ideas into those two or three minutes it never sticks into one groove or pattern it's constantly changing you hear one riff once and then you'll never hear that again it's not they won't return to it it's always changing structure as a bit i mean it's not genty in any way but there's a bit of time signature changing and it just the vocals just don't give you any nothing to hook onto, um and it's just it's just relentless essentially i mean it's only 33 minutes long which is the saving grace because it, it, like we were saying azuzu azuza Suzu, azuza that was 30 minutes and that was uh, long enough yeah, this is their debut album. They produced an EP called From the Un- Unforgiving Arms of God, which, um, because obviously it was the first release as a super, it got a bit of noise. It did, yeah. Have you heard it? Yeah, and it's got, I didn't remember it, but it's got quite a evocative album cover or EP cover. Yeah. It's got this, like, it's a how to describe it. A nun with, like... It's got almost like a leprosy kind of face melted face it's pretty gruesome but that i remember that from a few years ago and that's just 16 minutes but that that's pretty much a blast from start to finish as well so i i'd listened to that so i i after remembering that fact i did know slightly what we're in store for (laughs) you definitely didn't give me any warning um (laughs) they previously supported straight for the path which i find a very strange package there Benny are you have you listened straight from the path I don't know much of them actually but they're a bit more in the hardcore yeah I, I just but anyway like that's the sort of um, ilk them they're, they're uh, mixing with what I really liked about this record was the use of samples on it throughout it like from one track into the end I think there's track or I can't remember what it's called now um, but there's like a sample at the end it's like doctor doctor and then just goes into this a punishing might be i'll tell you which one it is now it's apparition okay which is towards the end i mean those samples are almost the only let up in the album <laughs> aren't there they're just otherwise it is absolutely blasting i, I mean just going for it slightly i thought the first track covet not i've highlighted is it starts as it means to go on absolutely brutally it's got almost napalm death kind of grindcore in a way but but the rhythms are kind of rolling and you can see that hardcore and punk lineage to it but it's always just switching up it's always just 
cramming loads of ideas into a short space of time. It's got breakdowns. It does slow down, but it's just, it never lets you settle into, it never lets you kind of think you know what's going on before changing. So I think that starts the album. It gives you a good indication of what's going to happen. When you mentioned there about um, the time signatures, do you think that bringing uh, the Dillinger drummer in had a influence on that? That Like, I haven't heard the EP, but do you think him coming in would have brought in a different level of songwriting to that? And maybe, like you said, the time signatures being different? Potentially. I mean, that's what the bread and butter of Dillinger was. Highly complex band, always always unsettling you with changing time signatures. This, I don't think this changes time signatures so much as it just changes up in terms of riffs and everything else. But I'm sure bringing such an accomplished drummer such as Billy Reimer helped with that, helped with that. And it just, I think it's their modus operandi just to absolutely unsettle you. So they'll use whatever trick in the book they can to do and achieve that. And I think they do. We've had... um... We covered Umbre Vitae as well a while back, and this is very much of the same vein, isn't it? Just punishing. And the, the supergroup, I suppose the good thing about these supergroups is you have all in their established bands, and they each have their own thing they bring to it. I mean, you mentioned Will Putney, who I think the songs for this, he said when he was writing for Fit for an Autopsy, he didn't think they'd fit on a Fit for an Autopsy album, so he brought them to, to this project. But the fact that you've got so many different influences and different styles in there obviously must make it so much pleasurable to write a record like this yeah i mean the singer counterparts i'm not sure if you've ever heard but they're pretty they're very different to this they are much more on that in the hardcore punk side of things and almost had melodic singing in counterparts whereas it's clearly not like that for this um so, so yeah, and just to highlight just a couple of tracks, if you don't mind, I, the Hesitation Wounds I thought was a brilliant track and that again starts with this kind of ubiquitous sample and then there's a slightly slower start to it but it soon becomes very fast and brutal before long, but it's got these kind of atmospheric kind of swabs of synth that finish the track and get, as I say, they just use every trick available to them to to unsettle things and apparition that you mentioned i thought was brilliant and that the guitar work from will putney for that was brilliant um and yeah it, it just just in terms of the diversity and the number of ideas that they throw at you i think it's just just really again same same word as the last album just impressive yeah um i just i just want to touch on this song title every empty vein is such a great track title. It, I don't know why it just reminds me of surgery or something like that. That's a side note. It's a good track anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, thirty-three minutes. I really enjoyed this though. I won't lie. It it was it did need time to grow on me. Like I was listening to it while I was working. So sort of, it's very hard sometimes just to get lost in a track, an album like that. But then sort of on the fifth listen it really clicked and yeah for 33 minutes this is a textbook track you could go out for a run with and which yeah. you see you see you through to the end if you excuse the pun yeah i think um you're right in that you probably do need to give it a few listens and you probably need to give it your concentration i think if you have we've talked about this before but there are certain albums if you have this on in the background a bit i think i mentioned it with ulcerate if you have it on in the background it would sound like unlistenable noise but the more if you if you're kind of concentrating and listening to it and you can hear those subtle 
shifts in the riffs and the time signatures and the and the beats and the beat downs i think that's when it, it becomes really rewarding to listen to but I, I i agree that whilst i really like this album i can't see myself going back to it a lot over the course of a year because i think you just need to be in a certain mood or a certain place to put it on because it's so it's so brutal yes yeah, i totally agree with that um like i said probably going for a run or if you're at the gym would be a good time just to smash this out 33 minutes um yeah i'm going oh for fans of venny i have um napalm death you touched on at the start uh vane and um dillinger i had little tinges of dillinger in there as well for you yeah i had napalm they do have that grindcore sound in there i've got leached as well we mentioned a couple of times i think in terms of just absolutely brutal bludgeoning records that leech one is 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 similar in a similar vein to this i've got massive for the same reasons and full of hell i think that kind of blackened hardcore that they're, they're a strong proponent of the scene so yeah yeah good shout uh okay i'm giving it a seven benny like uh, nothing majorly wrong with the album just it's a bit too much for me <laughs> is all <laughs> It, it was in the punishment, but again, really good record. So, but I think you said like I probably won't go back to it as much. Yeah, I, same, same for me. Seven out of ten, and for similar reasons. There's nothing bad about this record. It's very impressive. It is just a just have to be in the right mood to listen to it. And just out of interest, if if I were to give you Umbra Vitae. Azusa and this out of albums we've reviewed in a similar kind of they're all in inverted commas supergroups they're all pretty pretty difficult listens in their own ways what what are you which one of those three are you picking um I would go for Azusa I and I think purely although the vocals are a different sort of harsh I think just the female vocals have a bit more of a mummy cuddle to it <laughs> rather than <laughs> rather than just being screamed at for 30 odd minutes i i'm not sure what i go for i i did like that umber vitae record and that had maybe a bit more of a death metal slant rather than pure hardcore so yeah i may i think may, i really like this one it's difficult to choose between them but maybe umber vitae for me okay fair Everyone has their own opinion, which they like, isn't it? Which is exactly why we do this show. Okay, so that was End, and it was Splinters from Never Changing Face. And we now move on to our deep cut, which is Fear Factory's Obsolete. Released in 1998. 1998, Benny. That was some time ago. It certainly was, mate. It certainly was. Um, yeah, so this is the third album from... Um, Fear Factory. The they had Soul New Machine, their debut, then D Manufacture, and then Obsolete. We'll touch on uh, a couple of those things anyway. Um, so yeah, Obsolete. It was basically a carry on for where D Manufacture finished, and but this time in Obsolete they moved into a real concept album, um, which we'll touch on. The uh, band members were Bert and C Bell, uh, Dino Cazares on guitar, Christian Old De Walbers on bass and Raymond Herrera on drums, which is the Fear Factory, the classic lineup, as it were. Do you remember when this was released? Do you remember where you were? <laughs> I I mean, I think 98 
we must have been what 14 i think maybe i'm not sure we were full into the factory at that time but we certainly were were on that path digimortal was a subsequent album to that and i remember at that point really anticipating it so yeah this was this was them at their heyday and this was just as we were kind of getting into heavier music and fear factory specifically and and this album was probably because we were in the new metal scene or grew up in the new metal scene this was an album which had like the electronic samples and the we'll talk about edge crusher in a minute but the, the scratching on some of the track which i think I wonder if you took out the samples and electronics from this album because it's a really heavy album, isn't it? Really heavy. It is. I mean, it's clearly not as heavy as their previous two. So they had grown a lot to get to this point. And I think in a similar way to as we discussed on God Hates Us All, that was not Slayers trying to do new metal, but merely reacting to it. I think this is similar for Fear Factory. This is their most, in inverted commas, new metal album, but it's still, I wouldn't really class it as such. And and the other thing to say about that is, Fear Factory always have had those, that being an industrial band, an industrial metal band, they have always had those kind of samples and not necessarily scratches, and again, we can talk about that, but they had, they had had that slight electronic element to them. So the album, as I said, is a concept album, and... It's a concept on humans have basically become too reliable on technology, which is very apt for this as we sit here now, isn't it? The, the way technology's gone, it's a it's a really long and confusing story that I would say if you have the time, have a read online. But basically, this hero called Edge Crusher goes back to try and destroy all the machines, and track by track, the story grows. And I think if I think of the top of my head, if you look at track resurrection they have a video for it of a man who is the edge crusher dressed up as a cyborg going around and trying to destroy his machine so that gives you an idea of the whole concept of the album yeah i basically say terminator 2 <laughs> <laughs> yeah in a roundabout way yeah, yeah. Uh, i i think clearly fear factory draw a lot from the terminator saga and uh they were heavily influenced by those films. So, yeah, it's not a million mile, miles away from that storyline. Yeah, but you probably said it a lot better than I did anyway. Um, so let's go into a couple of the tracks. So, sorry, I want to touch on one thing quickly. Burton's vocals on this are fantastic. And because the, the song ranges on this album are, you've got the heavy screaming I say screaming but then you've got like the more melodic singing sort of in Securitron if only he could carry that every time into the live environment yeah I saved this for a bit later but my question to you was is Burton C. Bell a vocal genius or a terrible singer <laughs> I I would say he gets a lot of help in the studio I think because if you listen to um, or if you actually their DVD Fear Factory, um, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's basically a evolution of the band from Soul of New Machine up to Digimortal. I think there's a load of live snippets in there where he's trying to reach the high notes. And we joked about him when we were at school calling Burton <laughs> Burton C Bell squeakers, and uh, yeah, I, I do think he gets a lot of help in the studio because 
you put it on him next to a live stage and the studio version, I'd say you'd be lucky nine out of ten he hits those notes. Yeah, it's a big shame. Basically, Fear Factory evolved in a very short period of time from a brutal industrial death metal band. If you listen to those first, like, Soul and New Machine, Fear is a Mind Killer EP, they sound nothing like they do on Obsolete. They are pretty much a brutal, heavily industrial death metal band. And the vocal is harsh from Burton C. Bell. And that's probably what he's strongest at. They then release Demanufacture, which for many people is the point where Fear Factory realised their sounds and became the band that they are. And for many people is their masterpiece. And then they progressed just in this very short period, three album curve to Obsolete, which is so much more ambitious and so much more progressive in terms of what they're trying to achieve they moved away from just a purely industrial death metal sound into trying to achieve some kind of pop songs essentially and um burton voice has to have gone on that journey and i think the his his clean singing voice i think is unique i think it is really interesting when he does sing it's pretty it's got the influences from late 80s like gary newman essentially who we'll talk about but he's got that influence he's got that kind of gothic almost cyber gothic influence from like the cure who we mentioned and his clean singing voice i think brings a lot to fear factory sound particularly like the best examples on this album and I I don't know the answer to whether he is a genius or not. I think he's got brilliant... I, I really like the pitch and the character of his voice on the clean singing and the harsh singing on this album. But I, I 100% agree with you that there is significant work that's been done to it in the studio and it's been a running joke that he's never really been able to carry these songs live. Yeah, um, which is a shame, obviously. I mean, I saw them do the demanufacture tour here in Dublin. Um, whew, can't remember how many years ago it was now. And even then, it was it was almost like a struggle. And, and now, to be fair, at this time, this is when Fear Factory were literally on the dying legs. Dino was in the band. You could see there was just no cohesiveness or no one really cared what they were doing. But yeah, I, I think the vocal performance on the studio of Obsolete is absolutely brilliant. We'll talk about a couple of the other tracks where he has really standout performances. But I just want to shout out to um, Raymond as a drummer. Is You spoke about one of your favourite drummers the other week. Sorry, you were talking about um, Chris Adler from Lamb of God. Chris Adler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Raymond Herrera is in that ilk as one of the best drummers in metal at the time he created so much power in his kit and his drumming style um and i think he was a real driving force behind the band in a musical way if you know what i mean he really drives on the back and powers it forward yeah and in the style is it fits with the character of the band which is this industrial futuristic kind of Terminator 2 sound and he is all his drumming and his double bass is very is almost like machine like isn't yeah. it it's very mechanized and precise and 
cold and compressed the sound of it. it and it just it gives Fear Factory that character and I think like you say there are certain drummers in metal that you can hear the song and know the drummer if that makes sense uh, he has that his own character yeah and I know we're talking about obsolete but it's such a shame that he, they're not in the band anymore you know yeah whatever how, but that's sorry that's a side story um the album starts with shock we're not going to go through every track I just picked out a few ones I think shock is from the from that first sub drop on it is just such a powerful track and I think the name shock fits it all yeah I love I love that track it's such an amazing it gets a record off to such a high energy amazing start I, I love the start of it and um, it's actually like quite a slow track if you go to the during the verses it's actually the cadence at which Burton's singing is actually pretty slow but it's just driven along by the bass and the drum, the rhythm section just drives it along and uh, it, it kind of speeds up for the chorus, which is clearly the opposite to what most music does. So I think it's, it's brilliant. I love the effect on the shock as well. It is like a sub drop. We talk about those a lot now with the modern metalcore bands like Bring Me Horizon and stuff, but clearly Fear Factory one of the first to do it. I think when I I saw them somewhere and they played Shock, I don't know if they opened with it or whatever, but um, the lighting show, the strobe lights as Shock starts off is just, when you're there seeing it, it's just, it's euphoric, like seeing the, the bass patterns and then the lights flickering on the same time is it's it's mesmerizing at times yeah that sounds cool it's really like energizing high temp it's a great start to the record yeah brilliant track um and then i think this has been in their set list ever since the next track edge crusher i love this because on the bass parts christian is actually playing a double bass not not like a double bass drum, but like a stand-up bass. And you can really hear the thickness of the strings when he's playing that. Yeah, it's like in the verse. There, it's just the bass and Burton singing over it. There's very Dino Canizares guitar. is used pretty sparingly in it, just for the chorus, essentially. Yeah, and then it, we, we were talking about the, um, the scratching, the DJ scratching on this. Uh, what do you make of it on there? Do you think it adds anything to- takes anything away i don't know i it's part of that track and i wouldn't remove it i know it did alienate a lot of their fans who were with them from those early industrial death metal days they hated edge crusher and when they heard that they were they were completely alienated i don't hate them i i think fear factory are meant to be a kind of in inverted commas futuristic band to industrial band and so having electronics and samples doesn't is it's not out with what the band's is meant to sound like so i i think it kind of adds to the track and um i mean they sound a little bit dated now but yeah i wouldn't have them away for sure no i'm the same i it doesn't offend me and i think that because the, the way the whole album is you know the futurists like you said i think it was probably natural they started adding these uh little tweaks onto the album i think securitron there's actually a really good run now securitron throughout the rest of the album it's not really heavy it's not mellow but it's 
a shift away from like demanufacture, like you say. And I love the sample at the start of Securitron, where it just says there is a fear factor in this division, and then the sirens and the oh, it's fucking great. Yeah, I like briefly Smasher and Tavara is track three. That is very much a demanufacture style song, and I think that sticks out a little bit on this album. But then it goes into Securitron, and that is. I think it's one of my favourite tracks on the album. I really like it. I think, like you say, the sample is amazing. With the sirens, again, it just fits into that industrial theme for them. So it fits perfectly. With the, Then kind of double bass comes in. And yeah, the riff sounds like the Terminator soundtrack. And I think, the, again, we've talked about Burton C. Bell's vocal. I think the vocal on this track is amazing. I love the, the melodic chorus with the no place to hide and it's a five minute track and it does plenty in that time it, it's i think it's really it really shows their back their ambition that track i think it's brilliant yeah i'm a big fan of where they went on this album with these tracks like so i'll just touch on three so securitron um descent and then resurrection are three yes. of my favorite tracks on here along with shock edge crusher i think especially resurrection i think is a i don't want to say <laughs> beautiful is probably the only word i can come up with at the moment for it but it just has such a beautiful way of presenting this idea and it's not like frantic metal or double bass it's just so well packaged this track yeah it's almost like a fear factory epic Mm. which you don't associate with the band clearly and yeah i i think i think it's a brilliant track and i it has those 80s influences as much as you might not want to hear it but it does have those gary newman that synth and synth and new wave even the cure and those kind of things with with his singing in it i think it's uh yeah i think it's a standout track i think descent is similar in a way descent i think is their push at a kind of commercial rock or metal track is capitalizing a very catchy riff and very melodic singing but it's just a is a brilliant track it's got what i would consider quite classic structure for a fear factory song where they where the bridge before it goes into a chorus is very kind of strong and mechanized and it's that's the I feel nothing, I am nothing. And then it dives into the melodic vocals for the chorus. And there you can hear you can hear what they've done in the studio to just layer the vocals. You can you can hear it and it sounds amazing and it's clearly was never going to be achievable for him in the live setting. But um yeah, I I agree. Those those tracks really for me show the ambition of Fear Factory to draw in all those in influences from those 80s synth bands and what what have you, the industrial aspects which they they were good at already. And they they just came, I say it again, it came so far from Soul of the New Machine to this in such a short period of time. Yeah. Just two albums. It's so it's so impressive. And I, I think what it did for them is it almost left them nowhere to go from here. So they'd almost really, they realized their kind of evolution in such a short period of time that they, they had very little place to go and they almost then had to retread on what they'd done before in their subsequent albums for me. Yeah. Very valid point. Um, I think, uh, I think obsolete sort of, they, they made their bed, if you will, like there was no coming back after that. 
Obsolete was the, I think it was their best-selling album. I think it went gold. Um, so there's no way they could have gone back to that death metal early days that you're talking about. Um, but that being said, I actually really enjoy a lot of the later Fear Factory albums as well. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that they're bad in any way, but what I'm saying is that they've just went through that arc of progression so quickly that most bands take like five, six albums to get there, and they did it in three. And it just meant that they'd they'd run through a lot of their ideas and use them. So anything subsequently to that, you could you could pick out various era that it came from, if that makes sense. But um, very, very, very impressive. And what, one thing I wanted to say is this was kind of peak Roadrunner release back in the day. And that mid-90s Roadrunner record was clearly the foremost metal record label. And what I loved about it is you had bands like Fear Factory, you had bands like Typo Negative and like Sepultura and later Slipknot and what have you. But what I liked about that time, you know, the Typo Negative, Fear Factory time, Life of Agony, is they had all these bands that were all kind of commercially viable in their own way. They all had that appeal, but they were all kind of slightly different. Like they had that slightly different slant. Typo Negative clearly had a very gothic sound. Fear Factory had this industrial sound, but in the heart of it, they're all kind of heavy or or metal bands, and they all had that appeal, that that mass appeal. So it was such a, I think it was such a good time. It was just before new metal really kicked. And I thought that was a really really nice time for music. Yeah, and it's such a shame they're not around because I was just, as you were talking there, just thinking, you see them at festivals, like, there's loads of them, like, I think there's one in Australia where the whole crowd is, it's during um, a track of Digimortal, I think, but the whole crowd is up and going. They they really are, I know, again, it was around our time that they, we got them, but they really are such a great band, Fear Factory. And this is... There, there aren't a lot of bands that sound like them, are there? No. Um, like that mixture between kind of commercial metal and industrial bringing these various influences. They're not, there are plenty of industrial bands or what have you, Rob Zombie, for example, but there's not many bands that sound like Fear Factory. No, and I'd have to think long and hard to try and find one. Maybe we can figure yeah. it out after. I think the, there's one track which I don't like, and that's the title track for me. I don't know how you feel about that one. Yeah, I think there are a couple of tracks. I mentioned track three, which is Smasher Devourer. I thought obsolete the same. And these are tracks that, for me, sound like off off cuts from the demanufacture de- sessions. They fit that mould more than they fit the obsolete sound and don't fit so well on the album. Yeah. Um, yeah, just obsolete was just... It felt a bit casual or lazy to me. That That's my opinion. Um, yeah, and then- I, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. And then the uh, the one that stands out is the the cover of Cars by Gary Newman. You've touched on uh, the vocal uh, performance sounding or getting his influence from likes of Gary Newman. I think it's such a great cover. It was really popular, wasn't it? It was <laughs> all over. Like The music video was everywhere. And I read somewhere, I think it was their highest selling single ever. Um, uh, but 
it kind of makes sense as well. Like like I've said a couple of times, I think Fear Factory, especially in their kind of in their kind of industrial synthy futuristic sound, draw a lot from those late eighties British bands, and um, it kind of is a no brainer to to do a cover of this. In a way, it's it's quite a straight cover. Like it's yeah. not totally what different from the original, but yeah, it's it is a classic and. Uh, the, yeah, the video I, I, is really awful. It's I think um, if I if I remember rightly, it's a flying car and Bert yeah. Bell dressed in a silver jacket with shades on, and then I think Gary Newman's might be in another car. It's it's horrendous, but the track's good, um, and I love the way Gary Newman and Burton C. Bell have share parts of the song. Um, yeah, it's it's a really fun track and. <laughs> Look, I, I'm not sure if it adds anything to the album. It doesn't take anything away from it as such. I think it got a lot of people into Fear Factory. I think it's a really important track for them. Um, it, it's one of those covers that almost overshadowed their own songs on, on the album. And yeah, if that's what it took to get a few people into the band, then yeah, they, they achieved it for sure. Yeah. Um, just before we finish off, um, so yesterday we were, uh, I was having the download day and I had a few beers and you sent a tweet about 10 o'clock, half 10 saying about uh, D manufacture being, you know, we should have covered that album. And I half joking, I think just put back obsolete better than D manufacture. And it got, it got one person's backup anyway. It, it isn't better than D manufacture in my opinion, but I don't think D manufacture is the complete album either. No, uh, I don't. I think if I was, Right, nowadays, if I was to put on one Fear Factory album, it would be Demanufacture, I think. Um, it's not so, I agree with what you say, it's not a perfect album, but I think it is the essence of their sound uh, is crystallised and perfected on Demanufacture. And as I say, I think they went over and above it with what they aspired to do on Obsolete. I think they did have some wish to go in a more, I don't know, don't want to make this sound like a dirty word, but in a more mainstream direction, more commercial appeal. And I think they clearly tried to do that with Obsolete. It doesn't, I don't think it's worse for that. As I say, I don't mean that in any disparaging way, but I think for me, for, for me anyway, I think Demanufacture is the essence of Fear Factory. I think some of the tracks, the standout tracks in Obsolete possibly are better. Yeah, I think that was my point. If you look at um, certainly on Demanufacture, New Breed and Dog Day Sunrise, like just you could take Shock and Edge Crusher are better than those two, hands down. It 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 was a tongue in cheek comment I responded to. I should not tweet, drink and tweet. Get people's backers up. I I just really like the direction they went in Obsolete, and I love the the mellower tracks and what they did with them, like Resurrection and and things like that. So. Yeah, look, obsolete, great album. Demon, in fact, is a great album, but this is the beauty of music, isn't it? Yeah, as I say, it it was just a really impressive one-two from them to go from Demanufacture to this, and that this is just their third album. I, it's very impressive. Looking back on it, I didn't didn't probably appreciate it at the time, but yeah. really impressive. And and it is worth saying, I I really like Digimortal after it as well. Same. And, um, and like you have said, I think some of the latter albums whilst they have dropped off in popularity significantly, are all good albums. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Digimore, and then uh, I think it was it Archetype was another big. Archetype's big... a good album. Yeah, yeah really. I think that was when album. was that when Christian went on to guitar. I, I lose uh, track a little bit yeah. on the comings and goings in the band, yeah. to be honest. Um, anyway, what, just to tell us what their status is now. So I saw them with Burton and Dino, and I can't remember who was on drums. I want to say Gene Holgan. That could be Ooh. wrong, but anyway. Um, not heard anything really. The last Dino, so you know, Dino's is worth saying. Dino is like it's basically Dino's band, isn't it? He he's the yeah. predominant songwriter. He he comes up with most of the concepts. So I think he, but but as we've alluded to, Burton T. Bell is his voice is 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 very strongly associated. And so I don't mean you could get a new singer. No, um, but there have been definite comings and goings for the band. Oh, totally. Um, I think the last tweet I saw from Dino on the Fear Factor thing was, I'll never set foot on stage with them again. <clears throat> now, because I think, I mean, they went bankrupt over law. I think it was Burton and Dino against Christian and Raymond over the name of the band and stuff like that. And people knew they went bankrupt. Um, I, I, I think Raymond's just not even doing music anymore, not heard anything. Burton's doing Ascension of the Watchers and Dino is doing Ascensio. He left Brew Korea. Um, he's more the, probably the most active, I think, out of a lot of them. But yeah, it's a shame when bands break up over... We don't know the ins and outs, but... Yeah, it's a shame as it's... They're not exactly Metallica, are they? It probably... Yeah. We're not talking millions and millions of pounds at stake, are they? And I think there'd definitely be a stronger proposition now. I think they could probably command a decent, like touring cycle and festival slot with the original members so it's a shame that they have fallen out so badly now money talks so you never know down the line what yeah, could happen great so um Agreed. yeah so that's uh obsolete by fear factory that's our deep cut next week we are looking at lamb of god's latest release which i'm very much looking forward to and uh deep just one review next week and our deep cut is from faith no more and it's angel dust which i'm gonna have to really get us start listening on to that there was some uh, good banter last night about this this album yeah it's a request isn't it so uh yeah it's uh i'm looking forward to that i think what we're quite key we've had a few fallow weeks in terms of releases mm-hmm. not too many big ones we've gone into some pretty niche stuff some pretty heavy bands and so um we wanted to bring it back to the to the middle ground so next week lamb of god's release we're going to focus on that just a single review and uh, a big band for a deep cut as well and faith no more if you say so mate (laughs) (laughs) i jest i jest um okay that's it for this week benny thanks as always taking up your time and um i'm gonna go to bed because i'm very tired (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll talk to you next week benny cheers bud Stay safe. see you later